0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. You know, I appreciate you taking the time to hang out and listen to this nerdery. I do appreciate it very, very much. This episode with my dude Scott Evans was very, very fun. We go into a lot of recording technique stuff, which is Obviously very relevant to my interests at the moment because that is all I'm doing with my spare time is making music and working on projects. So this was a really informative episode. He's a really smart dude and he has worked on some amazing sounding records and his band Calhoun Walled City is super, super cool. The new record sounds amazing. So definitely give that a spin. I just have one quick thing to plug. Well, two quick things to plug before we get into this episode One is, a lot of people have been asking for a Shred Shed walkthrough, and I've never done it until now. You can go over to YouTube. I posted a walkthrough last week, so if you haven't seen it, there is a tour of the Shred Shed, and it's just called a tour of the Shred Shed. So if you type that in to the YouTube search, I'm sure it will pop right up. That's over on the Tone Mob YouTube page. I'm going to be a lot more active with that this year, so if you could hit me with a subscribe, that would be very, very beneficial. I would really appreciate it. I'm going to be trying a bunch of different content. I'm not going to go crazy with the 30 videos in 30 days thing again, because that seemed to like have some bad, bad juju around it, since everything caught on fire when I tried to do that. So, not going to do that, but I will be much more active this year. I'm shooting for at least a video a week. I don't think that's too insane, so we're going to shoot for that, see what happens. Some of them will be vlogs, some of them will be demos. People have actually responded to the vlogs a lot better than I anticipated, so I'll be doing my best to provide information and just value in any way that I can over there. So if you could slide over to YouTube, I would super appreciate that. And then the last thing is the same thing that I plugged last week, which is there is something special happening on February 9th, and patrons of this podcast, those in the text chat and the email list are going to know before anybody else. The patrons are going to know first, because obviously they deserve some special treatment, followed by the text chat and email list, so those are free to join if you want to. You can go to ToneMob.com, hit the Join the Mob tab to join the newsletter, or you can text the number that's in the show notes of this podcast which is seriously one of my favorite things that I've done uh, external to the podcast. It's so cool to get to talk to everybody and just jabber back and forth about gear, about music, about really just whatever. Sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with anything, which is really, really cool, and there's no algorithm filtering it through or anything like that. So if you want to talk to me, boom, it comes right to me, and that's a great way to do that. So, okay. I won't bore you with anything else. Let's dive right into this episode with my dude, Scott. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Scott Evans from Calhoun Wald City, and a bunch of recording projects. Like, too many to name, but here he is. Let's get into it. That's me. Hello. Yes, hi. How's it going? Dude, I am so excited to do this. I've actually been meaning to get you on for a while, and then a bunch of people in the Facebook group attached to this show were like, hey, you should get him on, because he just did your favorite band's record. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then that was the impetus uh, to me, Messaging you, and here we are. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Thanks for
1: thinking of (laughs) me, dude. That's great.
0: Uh, So maybe we dive into this. This is a this could get really deep, but in the uh, 30,000 foot view, we dive into your backstory for those who maybe aren't familiar. Like when did you start playing and when did you start recording and all that jazz? Oh, so
1: uninteresting. Um, I am old. I've I'm 50 and I've been playing, uh, since I was a kid, you know, since I was in high school, I played bass for a long time and sort of slowly transitioned to playing guitar. Mm Uh, and I got a little more serious about guitar when Kowloon got going. Um, but really for a long time, I pretty much played guitar like a bass, uh, and still sort of do. I mean, I'm kind of a guitar player, but. You know, I get by. Me too. It's um, fine. Recording wise, you know, not long after when I was in high school, when I started playing, I got a four track, uh, and so did a couple of friends. And we all spent like, you know, every waking hour, just it, like the four track thing grabbed me more than playing music, I think. It was just like, you know, this, this, uh, it was amazing. You know, you could do a few things and then, like, play it back and have a recording that, you know, like, like, oh, my God, I can do this. It was, you know, overdubbing and mixing and all that. <clears throat> so um one of my best friends from high school went off to recording school, mm-hmm. like a, a legit four-year program for recording. And I went and got a computer science degree and uh basically spent the next, I don't know, a couple decades as a... Uh, software person doing a lot of recording, you know, as a serious hobby mm-hmm. or a very serious hobby or, you know, or weird obsession and, uh, and playing in some bands, none uh, really of note or anything. Uh, we moved to California about 15 years ago, and I guess it was more than that, might have been 16 or 17 years ago. And at that point, uh, a couple years after that, I started playing in Kowloon and uh, started meeting more bands and more good bands than I had when I lived on the East Coast. Started doing more recording in practice spaces, you know, where I had a rig where I would take to people's practice space, record them there, mix it at home. Uh, that's how we did the first two Kowloon records, Turk Street and Gambling on the Richter Scale. And... Uh, I don't know, work just picked up, um, and that's, I don't know, 15 years, 17 years later, or whatever, that's where I'm at now. I I don't program much anymore. I'm a day a week now. Mm-hmm. I tried to quit and kind of couldn't. <laughs> uh, the, pe- the people I worked with were like, please, please just stay a little bit. And I was like, okay, you know, I mean, it is much more financially stable than engineering. But I've been trying to make a go at full-time engineering for a couple years now, despite COVID. And uh, still, the the wraparound to talking about my buddy Greg, who I grew up with, he's been one of my muses forever. So he went off to do, you know, legit and uh, you know, work at a bunch of big studios in New York. And basically, I spent a lot of time, like, like being pulled along in his wake. Okay, uh, and that was really helpful for me because everything else I've done, I've had to learn myself about recording, uh, and having a friend who has been learning from the best people in the world is invaluable. I mean, having any friends who are doing it is great. It just gives you someone to talk to and uh, sympathize with and send mixes to and all that. But um, having someone who's a pro and who's working with pros was really great. So sorry, that is I I said it wasn't interesting and then I talked for like five (laughs) minutes, but uh, that's kind of the the origin story It's a
0: podcast it, it gets really uninter- uninteresting when you stop talking. That's what I tell people. That's Oh yeah. right. Right.
1: <laughs> you got to keep
0: talking or it gets really weird. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh no. Uh I can relate to that last part in a big way. Especially right now I'm learning I'm dipping my toes in in video production world like in a more serious way. More more in a a creative like weird artsy way than like a YouTube way, but although I do plan on doing some YouTube more YouTube stuff. Um, and my friend Devon, he's, he's been doing this for a long time. And I'm constantly like bothering him with the dumbest questions like, what's this lens mount mean? I don't know what any of this stuff is. And I'm realizing like that world is as deep as the recording and gear world is. I understand it so much better. So having somebody oh, who yeah, knows video stuff is so deep. Editing and everything has, has just
1: helped so yeah, much. I'm a photographer. So I understand, you know, still photography to some degree. Okay. I'm not, you know, not a mega pro or whatever, but I do it right. But video is like this whole, even though I know photography and I know audio Mm -hmm. video is still like, there is a lot to know. Yeah, It's, it's a deep world, but it's really fun. It's, I mean, I feel like that's it. Like I've avoided getting into that stuff because I know it would be like, it's like just getting sucked down, you know, a, a well of, of of excitement and exploring and learning, and I I got no time in my life. For Honestly,
0: that. it feels to me. It, it this might sound kind of weird to the listeners, but it feels to me like the first time I plugged into a good tube amp and I like strummed a chord. Yeah, and I was exactly
1: like, no, I exactly
0: know what you like, mean. I've been doing this wrong. Oh what? Oh oh then there's this pedal, and then there's and then I can run stereo, and then like you get into the whole, and now you I have this whole. Room full of nonsense that I live in.
1: Yeah, it's a trap.
0: <laughs> so, and all the same things happening with video. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be expensive, <laughs> and and the never ending process of learning. Uh, but that's what's exciting about any creative stuff, right? It's there's it never ends. You, there's always something to learn. Uh, whether you're whether you've been doing it for fifty years or three years, there's always something to learn with this stuff.
1: It truly never ends (laughs) yeah what was but yes i mean i definitely feel like uh i've been doing this for a hundred years and i am still learning regularly i still feel like i'm getting better and uh refining the tools that i have in my brain Mm -hmm. to uh to accomplish you know with my hands or my tools or whatever what i want what i'm hearing You know, like it's, it's still working on that.
0: So I, I, su- I super wanted to get you on specifically to talk about recording in a partially selfish way because I, I have recorded a fair amount, um, but I'm still very much a novice. And I do get people, especially in the text chat that's associated with this podcast, asking me about making content around how I record and how I do things. And I'm like, man, I barely know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> same, yeah. I'm like, I just stick a mic in front of it and go, "Yep, that worked," or "Nope, that didn't work." Change it around, go in the Daw and like, I don't know, move this around over here, see what happens. Oh, that worked. Like, I really don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I wondered if maybe talking to you, like, what was something that you learned really early, whether it was a mic placement thing or a signal chain thing or anything that was just kind of this aha moment that became a go-to for you?
1: I think I'm going to flip that around. Okay. One of the things that I learned later that I wish I had known earlier, so when I was younger, we would set up drums, you know, say, and, and put mics on them and then spend, and I'm sure people listening to this can relate, hours, you know, moving the snare mic an inch each oh, way. Yeah. And... uh and and maybe to some degree, you have to do this to get to the point where you don't have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But these days, when I do setups, you know, I'll put up, I don't know, you know, a dozen mics on drums and a bunch on guitars and whatever, and I will move or change two things after that. You know, it's just, I think uh, it took a while for me to realize that, I mean, I mean, getting things Right, and knowing what what changes will happen when you change them is important. Yeah. Um, but the two things: one, the time to learn about that is not during a recording session.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> when you're being paid. Uh, yeah. And,
1: mm-hmm. Well, or when someone's waiting to be creative. You know, the time to do that is when you have experiment time at home. Like, yeah, put a snare, uh, put a fifty-seven on a snare. And move it ten degrees and hit it over and over again, and then go listen and see the differences, and just like file that away. Mm-hmm. so i the thing that I realized, I think was eventually that to some degree, man, I wonder if I can synthesize this well. Uh, you gotta you gotta learn what is changeable and what isn't, okay. And, and where the problems are coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're trying to get a snare drum to sound great by just moving around a 57 that's one inch from the snare drum head, in the end, you know, people talk about, oh, what's your favorite snare drum mic? I barely care at this point. Right. <laughs> like, literally. Because so much of the drum sound comes from everything else. You know, it comes from the room mics, and it comes from the overheads, and it comes from the way the snare is tuned, or the drum itself, mm-hmm. or the way the drummer hits. And if they're consistent... Um, or the drum head choice or all these things. And, you know, I've sort of developed to a point where I'm using all these other mics to do a lot of the snare sound. And the the snare mic is sorry to focus on snare drums, but uh is just like giving me this pop, this transient, and any mic can do that. Mm-hmm. So uh it's sort of like backing up a little bit and listening to things all together and and working from there. Like what does this all sound like? Right. Um So I don't know if that was actually helpful at all regarding the question that you asked, but it is it is something that's really important, and I think it's especially important today. um, More and more people, it seems like, record things one thing at a time. Yeah, for whatever reason, Uh, you know, I've worked with a bunch of bands that have never recorded playing together. It's all you know, like, okay, we're gonna uh, track the drums, then we're gonna get them all edited and then we'll do the, you know, maybe we'll do a scratch guitar while we're tracking the drums, or maybe not. Uh, The drummer will just play to a click, and then we'll uh, do a bass take, and then we'll get the bass perfect, and then we'll go into guitars, and maybe we'll take DI's in case we want to reamp. And uh, that's not what you do at band practice. Yeah. You know, that's not what you do at a show. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, that to me is taking all the making music out of making music. And so uh, listening to things as a whole and seeing how they glue together and what needs to be fixed in that context is way, way better, I think, than listening to things, you know, with a microscope. I mean, occasionally you got to zoom in. Yeah. For sure. But uh, I just definitely, you know, if you got only eight mics and you're like, well, I want to use all eight on the drums, I really would encourage people to try instead using two of those for guitar and bass instead and recording everyone at once mm-hmm. and thinking that way, just feel like it's, it changes everything. It's a, you know, and it's the way I've always come up recording and still try to record everyone when I can. Yeah. yeah. And that includes, you know, technical bands, Yaucha, super tech, right? Like crazy tech live from the floor, town portal, you know, also intricate, weird music live from the floor, like good bands can do it.
0: I think I think that there's something I've I've done it both ways um and I I feel like there's something I mean it's not like I don't enjoy records that are recorded that way, you know, all chopped up and done individually. Of course I do. I'm sure way more than I even realize, but I do think there's something to be said about like hearing a band just be a band and doing what they do, you know, versus Everything being so clinical and 100% accurate with triggered drums and everything. I, I like I said, I, I love music that's made that way too. I'm not saying it's good or bad to, do, to go whichever way you're comfortable with, but I do think there's some spice when the band's all playing together, you know, that, that gets lost.
1: Yeah. I mean, within reason, I'll take um, something that sounds a little bad it doesn't need, you know, two days of editing or replacing or something over the option to replace it or reamp it or whatever. And I don't, you know, that may make my records sound a little less perfect than they should, but, uh, fine. I don't know, you know, like you'll five years from now, when you press play on that record, you'll know what it is right away, at least. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm okay with Mm -hmm. that.
0: So I have a specific question for you when it comes to recording guitars, which I'm sure will be of interest to a large portion of this audience. I have always found it's really easy for me to get clean or clean ish guitar sounds kind of, I can almost throw the mic just about anywhere and it's going to sound pretty good within reason. Um, With dirt, I find it like really heavy guitars, which you've done a lot of. I find it takes me a lot more work to get that to sound the way it sounds to my ears in the room in a recorded mix. Um, and I, I haven't found a lot of consistency with like little tricks or anything. I'm constantly just having to like, I don't know. I'll play with it until I get it to sound right. And that's basically the only trick. Well, what's
1: an example of something you're trying to do that you would normally, like, how would you start? Like, you're going to do some, like, chuggy, you know, heavy guitar. Like, how would you start recording that?
0: Well, so the way I've done it lately is uh, uh, I've, done, I've done a lot of it in the box, which isn't my preferred way to do it. But if I'm going to do, like, really heavy, chuggy stuff, I'll usually start the way I do everything, which is get the sound I, well, I like out of the guitar. Like, okay. I got the pedals and amp and everything dialed in. I like how this sounds right in front of me. And then my go-to situation in order to get it sounding the way, coming out of the monitors, the way I'm experiencing it myself, would be to, I got to use at least two mics. Um, wh- what those are tend to not vary very much. I, I really like the Aston Stealths on just about everything because they're pretty, pretty flexible. Um, so I'll use two of those one on I usually play a 2 to 12 so one on each speaker and I kind of have to play with the placement a little bit I'll make sure they're different like if one's right on the cone I'll have one more you know to the outside of the speaker sometimes play with the angles depending on what sound I got and then I'll almost always turn actually this mic right here on and point it up and use it as a room mic cuz it's this oh, cuz this room sounds pretty good I don't always use that room mic like I'm I'll so then I'll record the part go back and listen to it, and I almost always have to hard pan the two close mics uh, and then blend the room in to taste, and then most of the time I will move one of the close mics just like ever so slightly off, and then it fills it out. Um Interesting. But I don't... I That's just something I stumbled upon. I don't even know if that's a good way yeah, to yeah. do it or not. It's just what
1: I do. Well, <laughs> uh so I guess... Let me try and, I can, like, without being there, yeah. uh, I, like, here's my thoughts on that. This is me personally, and everyone should record things the way they want to. Uh, I almost never, I, I'm trying to decide if I want to say never, mm-hmm. basically never uh, hard pan mics that are on the same guitar source. What I find, I always call that, it sounds like weird mono. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, because it's the same performance, basically the same waveforms, just like a little different. And it's just going to mess with your ears and still sort of collapse to mono. Um, if you want width out of guitar, I think the ways to get it are either a close mic and a far mic, which you can pan, mm-hmm. or, you know, a set of close mics, some to one place in the stereo field. And then a, a distant mic panned, yeah. um, or doubling your guitars you know, those are, I think the choices, like I, you know, there are people who run, I've I've recorded lots of people recording multiple amps, uh, and same thing, like, you know, hard panning those amps, like, you know, if you got a, a, a two amp rig that is mono, it's not stereo and you hard pan those, it's still just going to be weird mono. Like Mm -hmm. I, it's not, uh, it works live, but, uh, in recordings, I don't find that that's effective. Um, I also try generally to uh, keep mics equidistant at least, you know, everyone knows this stuff I think by now, from the speaker, mm-hmm. if you're doing multiple miking, just for phase yep. stuff. Uh, and yeah, sometimes I'll do like, oh, one of 45 or that kind of thing. Um, I'm more likely to pick two very different mics, mm-hmm. like a very bright mic and a very dark mic, or you know, the ribbon, the dynamic, all this normal stuff that people do. I and for heavy heavy stuff i basically almost never use a room mic um mm-hmm. and i think what this comes back to is uh it's a it's a noble goal to try and get guitars or drums sounding like you said like they sound in the room to you mm-hmm. but it's also like somewhat impossible and if you did it it probably is not going to be super satisfying coming out of speakers because it's just not what we are conditioned to want guitars or drums to sound mm-hmm. like. When you stand in a room with a drum kit, you're, what you hear is, you know, like 20 feet from a drum kit, you hear a lot of cymbals. You hear... uh you know, the kick drum doesn't sound very punchy. It sounds kind of, like, ill-defined and not very loud. And it's just, that is, in fact, not what most of us want a recorded drum kit to sound like for, like, loud rock music. Yeah. Um, which is why we put all these mics everywhere, is to try and get, you know, more control over it. And similarly for guitar, uh, it's it's just really, really hard to, I think, to to map the experience of being in front of a 412 and 100-watt amp to, you know, coming out of, like, a 6-inch speaker. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it, it's even harder because most of what we do is we mic up guitar amps very close, which is not the way anyone listens to mm-hmm. them. But with a multi, you know, if you've got a 212 or a 412 and you pull a mic back, you start getting weird phase stuff. And so, uh, long story short, for me, what I generally am trying to do is uh, I've spent my whole life listening to music very closely and sort of like calibrating my my radar as to what i think things sound it's basically sort of like what illusion are you trying to create mm-hmm. you know like okay i want this to sound like it feels when i'm in the room with the guitars or with the drums you know like I, I just want to put it on and be like that now that is a great guitar right. tone. uh so that to me for instance for heavy stuff that means really not a lot of room stuff like you know, old thrash records, that kind of thing had a lot of reverb on the guitars. And honestly, in hindsight, I don't like that at all. Right. Like, I prefer when that stuff dried up. Uh, and you know, I want like a like a Meshugo or a Megadeth Rust in Peace or a... uh I'm trying to think of other good examples of, you know, like these remember when the first Lamb few Lamb of God records came out, yeah. you know, they were like very dry. Mm-hmm. Uh and I love that for more clean stuff or, you know, whatever I'll do. I'll generally do more of a room mic thing. Uh, anyway, I, the truth is for almost all guitars, my approach is very similar, uh, heavy or not, um, which is, you know, one or two mics, uh, maybe three mics and put them all on a mixing console. Um, so I can sit there with the faders and try blends. Okay. And you can do this in the box too, um, but, you know, sometimes it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, you know, the this 201 or this 57 sounds great, but I just want a little bit of low end from it. And that's why I like consoles instead of a bunch of preamps is because doing, you see, like, I, people cannot see this, but you can. I'm like moving my hands like they're on faders. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, because it's just so quick to be like. Let me try it with this one way up. Let me try it with this one way up. Here's three mics. Let me try a whole bunch of different blends of these three and see which one works the best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually I'll end up with uh, one main mic and a little push from the other one. Every once in a while, it'll be 50-52 mics, almost never three mics. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, usually it's a ribbon and a dynamic or something like that. Sometimes uh, when we did that Town Portal record, almost all the guitar tone was a... A weird um, high-end uh, DPA. Who was it before DPA? Forty Eleven. Uh, it's a really nice small diaphragm condenser, like mm-hmm. you know, a three thousand dollar small diaphragm. It sh- should not have worked on guitar. It sounded incredible. Like made every other mic sound broken. Wow. So that was most almost all we use. We get we found something else to blend in for a little bit of something. But uh, the point is, like, just always start pretty simple. You know, an inch or two back uh with the mic pointed pretty much at the place where the dust cap meets the cone and go listen mm-hmm. and then you know what your moves are to make from there it's like oh this is too bright move it out this is too dark probably change settings on the amp uh or change mics you know don't use a ribbon and that's it like it's you know the ingredients are very simple and uh i not I don't want to say I'm arbitrary about the mics that i pick But I feel like I can sort of make anything work. And it's always good to just start with stuff you know and keep it simple and then start trying to make changes to get it where you want. If you do that enough, I think it it, it starts to become pretty obvious, like, okay, this is Mm working or this isn't. And a lot of it is just having a tone that translates well, you know, out of the amp. Right. So if someone's got a great bedroom tone, you know, super scoopy and like tons of low end and real woofy, over time you get to realize, like, you just hear it come out of the amp and you go... That that ain't gonna work, right? Like,
0: like I get that that sounds cool, but it's it's not gonna sound the same coming out of the speakers at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, the other thing I think that is important to come back to what I said before is, uh, is record with that guitar tone, you know, whatever it is. Don't play a DI and change it later. Like we play differently. You know, if I replaced your Les Paul with a Strat, you would play it differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think whenever possible, yeah, just, just do. get a sound, put that sound back into your headphones and play. <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: yeah, it's, it's interesting. So do you, And then with guitars, do you usually, when you're mixing, do you, you you usually leave them centered? Like you don't, you said you didn't really pan them much.
1: Well, most of the, honestly, most of the like loud rock stuff I do, there's two guitars. Yeah, okay. Uh mm-hmm. So, and if if it's a three-piece band um, with one guitar player, we will usually double the guitars. Mm, Okay. Um, I don't usually do like quads. You know, a lot of people like to double the doubled guitars. Mm -hmm. And to me, that uh, sort of smooth things out a lot. And I'm just not into that. I want to hear all like the grit and texture and the interesting stuff. Uh, So I think this is one of these things where people think that by adding more, it will make it bigger. And for me, it's the opposite. It's more like by taking away, it gets bigger. Yeah. Um, so when you can remove gain, when you can remove overdubbed guitars, like the the less that's in there, like the fewer ingredients, the more you will taste the ingredients right. in the recipe. Right. Right. And th- and that's what I really want. Um, if I'm doing a band and I've done a few of these where the guitar player, it's a three piece, say, and the guitar player is like, I do not want to double my my parts. Usually what I'll do is I'll put another mic 10 feet away, 12 feet away, something like that, Uh, like an Omni, uh, you know, something that will pick up the room and some character, and I'll pan those, you know, maybe like 60% left Mm -hmm. and right. Uh, And then maybe sometimes at mix time, play a little bit with adding a little bit of delay to the room mic. You can kind of hear it when you do that, like you just add a few milliseconds and eventually... If you're sitting there listening you'll like hear them go from being one sound to two sounds. Right. Uh and it's that like that point where it doesn't sound like a like a slap delay, it doesn't sound like a flam, but it does separate the sounds. That's where it's like okay, now we've got some width and separation out of one guitar. Yeah.
0: I feel like that's that's probably when I'm doing the double mic thing. That probably has more of an impact cuz I'm not necessarily putting a delay on it, but I am kind of effectively doing that with the two tracks. Because I'll zoom way in and I'll move it like a millisecond, you know, which isn't putting a delay on it per se, but when it's the same. No, and a millisecond
1: you know. probably is not enough. Yeah. Usually I think to get them to really separate, uh, a millisecond is enough for it to get sort of phasey and weird, I think. Yeah, it's. I might be uh, off get, with my time there. To,
0: I can't I remember exactly what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's, but it's usually more like 15 or 18 or 20 mil. It's a, it's a bunch, <laughs> like... Uh, to get them to to not be phasing with each other anymore and, and to really kind of, like, detach. Yeah.
0: I, I know that sound you're talking about, though, for sure. Like, I've heard that moment. Like, oh, there it is. And I think that's probably more of what I'm hearing when I'm doing what I'm doing versus the actual, like, hard pan thing. It's probably more from that separation than the panning. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that makes
1: sense. And like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't trying. I'm not... I hope it doesn't sound like I'm trying to pick apart your approach because I really strongly believe that uh, recording should be individual and not groupthink and there yes there are there are best practices that we learn through mistakes um, and I I have a enormous list of those mm-hmm. um, but I what I was really more doing was just sort of responding like oh here's my version of well
0: that. that's uh, well that's what I was asking you to do so that's fine <laughs> okay yeah, yeah.
1: just want to make it just want to be clear that I am not trying to you know, be critical. Because
0: admittedly, I haven't probably, I not probably, I haven't done as much like research on it as I should for the amount that I do record. I really just am like run and gun. I don't know, shove it in there and see what happens, and you know, like really just trying things. And but that's always.
1: I think that's awesome. You know, I, I mean, I, I, all I would say is that try and find time when you're not trying to get something done. And just have experiment days. Oh, well,
0: you know? I need to stop doing that, actually. I've had lots of experiment days and not enough get-stuff-done days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so, most of my life has been an experiment. Uh, it's It was really only until it, I, I played with a band for several years. Um, and then, you know, everybody started having kids and everything. And that kind of just kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. Um, but it wasn't until twenty twenty one when I really started taking recording my my solo stuff seriously, and that's why it's been such an interesting dive for me to try to get better at this because i'm oh it's a trap <laughs> dude yeah it's <laughs> it's it's uh one thing I have learned though, and I think that the audience can can take take away from this I'm really bad about buying and using boring gear like it took me forever when I first started getting into pedals. I went like a year without buying a tuner because I was like, I can buy another fuzz. Why would I want to buy a tuner pedal? I can just use this stupid little... Wow, of all the examples. I mean... You know, like I can just... I'm bad at buying boring gear. Like this boom arm here that I have, it's been so nice. I just used the stupid like amp, you know, one you would use to mic an amp with. I just had that set on my desk for years because I didn't want to buy... I just have a hard time buying boring, quote-unquote boring stuff. But when I do... It changes the whole workflow and makes your life so much easier. So don't be like me. I
1: love all that. (laughs) Like, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, buying, oh, I've got to buy 20 mic cables and it's 400 bucks and that sucks. Like nothing has changed here, but, uh, it is always gratifying to be like, I know all my mic cables are right, (laughs) you know, like, or I know my mic stands aren't going to collapse. Like I finally, I don't know, five or eight years ago, uh, decided a, on a kind of mic stand that I liked, bought a handful of them, like six or eight of them, which did not amount to that much money in the end, and took all my, like, you know, on stage and whatever other brand mm-hmm. of, you know, Guitar Center type, and I just put them all out in the practice space next door for free, yep. and it was like the best day of my life. <laughs> the boringest purchase, but I mean, literally, like from then on, I have been able to trust every single mic stand I grab, and it's just great.
0: What kind of mic stand do you like?
1: Oh, now we're talking. Yeah. Um the most of what I use, so I, I my personal opinion is that every recording studio greatly overinvests in tall mic stands, you know, the tall <laughs> tripod yeah. ones, like which are always or they buy the shorty ones and basically like neither of those are good for drums. Mm-hmm. Like for drums you want medium mic stands. And even for and for guitars, you never want tall mic stands, right. right? So, like, the only thing you need a tall mic stand for is, like, a vocalist. And those things are garbage for overheads because they're not sturdy yep. enough. So, uh, most of what I have, I'm looking over in the other room right now to see them, are uh, Atlas round basses mm-hmm. and uh, a short, like, a shorter medium, I think, Atlas, um, what's that? I don't know, the post that comes up from it. Yeah uh and then a dnr um boom nice and the you know i can mic floor toms with those i can mic rack toms with those they're great for guitars i have a couple very short ones for kick drums uh that is most of what i have and then the thing i'm talking to you in is like one of these big atlas uh like cast iron triangle bass mics Mm -hmm. stands with an atlas boom on it um and these are really good for vocals uh, or for like short overheads, yeah. um, they're not super expensive and they're very well built and they're somewhat modular so that you can replace parts on them. Um, and then for very tall ones for doing like overheads or room mics or whatever, um, there is Sharkbite. by accident bought a couple of these, uh, ultimate, I can't remember which model it is, uh, like tall with like the like a weird triangle base and like sort of rollerblade looking wheels mm-hmm. on it.
0: Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about.
1: They're great. They're extremely good. Um they're just really flexible and built well and they hold up well and like I would not expect that um something called ultimate would be ultimate, but in fact, it's really quite good. Nice. Um that's the end of my microphone stand tech. I, l-
0: I, I like that. I, I was now I'm I'm starting to like my brain is going into like what are the best boring gear purchases that I've made recently? I mentioned the oh my god! I was like I mentioned the Gator Boom Arm. I love that. Um. Uh. Oh, you know what? Like this sounds really extra silly, but for so long I was editing on this 13 inch Mac, like MacBook Air, uh one of the newer ones, but it, I'm I I. Again, I'm so I'm so dumb. I Let me back up a little bit. My main computer that I ran for years and years and years to do this podcast and all my recording on was one of those cheese grater Mac Pro towers from 2009.
1: Yeah, that's and, what I'm recording myself on right there you now go. talking to you. Great machine. Love that
0: thing. But I started getting to a point where some of the software I wanted to use just wasn't compatible anymore. And so I I was like, well, let's get an air. Everyone's raving about these M ones. Let's get one of those things. That, that's. Yeah, yeah. And so I still have the the MacBook Pro, and I will be integrating it into everything or the Mac Pro, excuse me. Um, it's still honestly this is a little bit of a tangent, but that thing still works fen- phenomenally well. I upgraded it to an SSD and put some yep. extra terabytes. They are awesome computers. They are. They work great. And it's they're it's great. Eleven years old now, or almost twelve. Like it's insane. Anyway, but I was just like, I had that hooked up to a 720p like Vizio TV for my monitor, but it was big. It was like 32 inches. And so when I switched to this MacBook Air, it took me forever. And finally, I realized I was squinting at everything. I'm like, this can't be good long term. If you're going to be like doing this stuff at a professional level, maybe like don't be dumb and be a professional. So this monitor I have now, this BenQ monitor, it's been like life changing for me. Oh, I have a BenQ monitor. It's so
1: good. It's it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it so
0: boring. So boring. But it's life changing when you're staring at it all day. You know.
1: It's yeah. I mean, I I am definitely really weird and finicky about this stuff. And what, but what I like to do if I can, is get stuff to a point where it's like simple and done, and I don't have to think about it, and it doesn't mess with my head, and I can then I can focus on doing the stuff that I'm supposed to be yes. doing. So, you know, if you're spending a lot of time like, oh, I'm on this tiny screen and I can never get two plugins on the same, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like things like that that are like, I just don't want, uh, like within reason, I don't ever want to be doing this, you know, like I don't ever want to be crawling around behind my rack trying to, you know, change the way something is patched up. So I have patch bays, you know, and that is patch bays are a really boring purchase, but they're, they're a game changer once you get used to them.
0: That's my one of my big things this year will be running cables up and over. Like you can see, though, well, the audience can't see this, but you see, like everything's done uh, with the surface mount out here. So if yeah. the redneck part of me wants to just like zip tie the cables to it and run it over and like so I can have boxes, but I'm going to do it right. I'm trying to be better about like doing things the right way. Uh, and I'm going to have my electrician buddy come over. We're going to run some new conduit to everywhere that I've. Like learned that I like to have mics, and have a patch bay set up like you're talking about. So I, because I'm yep. constantly I, tripping I, I over cables be... like all the time,
1: and i was just like, yep, this is so dumb. The the other cheap way you can do that if you want is you could just buy a short snake, mm-hmm. you know, like a stage box. Yes, you know, so so then you've got you know you don't have to have a million cables. You have one cable with with eight XLR inputs or whatever that you can take anywhere in the room. I
0: And I think I I've thought about doing that. Uh, as a stopgap but i think like i
1: know i mean what you're talking about sounds way better I think, like i um, you know
0: i i think i i've i've considered doing just that but i know i know myself well enough just like it took me a year to buy a tuner pedal that if i do that i'll never do the one i really want and so yeah yeah sure <laughs> it,
1: it, it, there is always that push and yeah. pull
0: so i'm trying to like just like just do the thing that you want to do in the first place, you know, I mean, this actually, the shred shed was kind of a good example. Like I could have done it a lot smaller and like a lot cheaper, but I knew it was like, Are, is that what you really want to do? Shouldn't you just, you know, bite the bullet and do the thing that you really want to do instead of like adding on later. And with what happened to lumber costs here recently, I'm really glad I did it all. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm yeah. really, really glad I did it all at the same time. So it was a lot to bite off. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think the 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 trick is to find the the. Uh, it's always good, I think, to to try and find the right cutoff point where you're not obsessing over your workspace or your system, you know, so much that it's keeping you from actually doing work. And I do know people like that, like, oh, they're just tuning their to do list system a little more, you know, and it's like that's not really what it's about. It's all in. In service of actually doing stuff. yeah. Uh, and so you know, just always I always try and think about what it is you're actually trying to get done and how you can serve that right with you know, with tweaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- instead of making the, the absolute perfect, you know, whatever. Because the odds are it probably won't be. Even if
0: you do like spend hours obsessing over it, you'll, you'll get done with it and be like, but I can do this other thing too.
1: Well, yeah. six months later, you probably will want some change. And so you do need to keep some degree of sort of like flexibility and looseness into whatever you do. You know, like you just know, you know, I when I see people do like uh, really involved installations or, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, this is very permanently here. It's just like, man, in five years, you, you just know that's going to look abandoned. Yep. Because whatever, you know. You, you, uh, you made an exact, you know, you built an exact thing to hold this TV, but five years from now, like those TVs won't exist anymore mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a million examples of this. So, so finding things that are, uh, I don't know, aesthetically okay and work well, but are not painting you into a corner right? in sort of all ways in life, I think is, uh, is a good way to walk through life.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. And, you know, and there's something to be said for the like the ready fire aim approach too, you know, like just get in there and do it. You know, like I said, I don't really know what I'm doing most of the time. So I just have to just do it and see what happens. And you know, if it sucks, then we'll do it differently the next time.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I I'm very in my life, I'm very ready aim, 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 fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's great in some ways and, you know, really a limitation in some ways. And I think is the reason that it's a, a, a number of things like that I'm doing right now, other people would be doing in their life when they're 28, right. <laughs> you know, just like, because other people are more aggressive about deciding to move in a direction. Yeah. So I think there is a fine line between the two and, you know, yeah, in the end, what you want to do is get stuff done and not make stupid decisions that you can't undo
0: yeah, this is a slight slight tangent to that, but one of the things uh, you know, I'm business partners with Scott over at Stringjoy. Um, and one of the things we've talked about with other uh, other business folks and just other people in general is one of the great things about having a partner like that that we can that we, you know, we really trust each other and work well together is that decisions get made and mm. you know, cuz we'll, you know, we we'll, I talk to him almost every single day. And there's always something that we have to decide. And it could be a big thing or a little thing. But if either of us were left to our own devices, we might agonize over it for weeks. Whereas we can hop on the phone and hash it out between the two of us and decide in a half hour what what the course of action is,
1: you know? And And then you you do it. That's it. That's it. That's the course. And, you know, now make that work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like recording, to bring it back to something about music, Mm -hmm. is best served with that kind of mentality. Uh, when I interviewed Matt Bayless years ago for Tape Op, I remember he said, recording is about making decisions. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was awesome. It's really stuck with me. So now, you know, any time when when we do another take, so, oh, let's do another take just to have it. It's like, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> like, what does that mean just to have it? Like, what are we going to do with right. it? Like, <laughs> like, you just played it great. Why do we, like, what are we doing here? You know, like, all we're doing is is recording you guys playing a song and you just did it and it was good. Like, we don't need, what? You're hoping that lightning is going to hit you during this take, you know, <laughs> and there's lots of examples of that. I think like, you know, oh, let's take a DI in case we want to redo the guitar tones later. Like, well, let's not, you know, let's let's make that decision. And then we will make all these other little decisions based on that one being fixed. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get something at the end that glues together. Um, recording is about making decisions. And and when you do make decisions, you can then proceed down the path that you have you know put a few bricks in front of you to start walking yeah and that's really important to get anything done I love there's okay. just no perfect it that's you know anything that's
0: so good that's that's such an important thing and you know it's not just important for everybody listening to hear it's important for me to hear too like it's important to remind myself because you know especially us gear nerds we can get so wrapped up into a uh paralysis by analysis situation where you just, like you said, we were talking about organization, but even just like, oh, I'll do that once I get this microphone or I'll do that once I get this pedal. Sometimes you do need to wait for those things. Most of the time you don't. Most of the time you can probably just do it another way. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like Once in a while there's a utility function that's like, okay, I really can't do that without that. But it's rare. You can usually find a way around. Uh that's good. Making decisions, recording is making decisions. It 100% is 100%. I never thought of it that way. Absolutely. Wow. That's fantastic. Recording
1: is a, it's about commitment. It's about committing. Like that might have been what he said. Recording is about committing. Yeah. Uh but it is. You know, you, if you commit and the more you commit, the more you realize like what you want to commit and what you don't. Like you will make mistakes, mm-hmm. but uh, they will make you stronger. That's
0: right. Well, you know what? Now To unpack this thought a little bit further, that's that was more prevalent back in the day when everyone was recording to tape. You were making, you weren't doing a bunch of stuff in post. You could only do so much. Oh yeah, like you were just like, okay, that's what we're gonna do because that's what we have. That's what we're doing
1: now. Oh yeah. Oh oh, (laughs) increasingly so as you go further back in time. You know, you get to the '60s or the '50s, and it's really that way. But uh, my favorite. Uh somewhat modern example of that is um you know that uh what's it called? Um Unstoppable recording machine, those yeah, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh yeah, they did a thing a while ago where they got their hands on the multi-track to destroy a race improved by Mashoga. Okay. Which was recorded to tape by a dude, I guess, who was like 19 at the time. And he basically, like, you know, they had the multi-tracks in Pro Tools or whatever, and he put all the faders at zero and did the panning and pressed play, and it sounded like Destroyer Race improve, you know? It was just like, nice. oh my God, what? You know, this dude just tracked it this way. Mm-hmm. One of the best sounding and best metal records ever made, and, you know, it was, like, done. It was crazy. Uh that's intense. I don't, it's intense. <laughs> it's really humbling. Uh, I don't remotely work that way. I do more work at mixed time than I'd like to, but I at least aspire to it. I think, you know, it's uh, it's good to know that that's where recording came from and know, you know, <clears throat> that remember that you're making music. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, this, you know, if you're trying to make, you know, Beats, or you're trying to make really complicated electronic music, or like that's a different world, and that's all fine and great. I'm just talking about, you know, dumb rock bands like the one I'm in. (laughs) Your band's good.
0: Don't, 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 uh, don't try to say that. Especially this latest record. Dude, this is great. This this new one that you guys did. Whoo. That was good, man. (laughs) That was thank you. I was blasting it here yesterday because I was like, oh, I haven't actually got to that one yet. Dumb. I, might be one of your best. I love that record. I, I I'm gonna be playing that the rest of the week. Uh, what was the What was the process on that one like?
1: Um. So thank you, by the way. And mm-hmm. I think I can actually say uh, I can't always say this, but I think I can say that we're all happy with it, which is an accomplishment unto itself. Yeah, no kidding. Um, the process was almost the same as our last couple of records, um, and definitely all of our, you know, splits and all that. Uh, I do a lot of recording at the studio Sharkbite, which is just down the hall from the room I'm in now. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a really great-sounding live room and an old Trident console that uh, sounds good when it's working. <laughs> and, um, you know, we... The process, roughly, is we set everyone up, uh, there are three ISO booths connected to the live room. So, you know, bass and guitar amps in those. Everyone has headphones. Uh, and we play the songs a few times each. Nice. And uh, when we get a good take, we listen back and see if there's any mistakes, and we fix those. And then we do another one. And uh, that's about it. You know, then after that, there's we did... This has also become normal. We'll have like a day or two like overdub days. Um you you probably you know there are some like leady things that John plays so we need to do those because we don't typically take those live. Right. Um and then we'll do some layering. Um it's really subtle. We'll do like a like a sort of sparkly clean version of some arpeggios and things like that just to sit under the main guitar and have it uh maybe help it be a little more articulate, mm-hmm. um, just to bring out a little sparkle or whatever. But hopefully, it, it you don't notice it. Um, so we some of that, and uh, then we did the atypical thing of letting the record sit there on a hard drive for three or four years or whatever it was. Oh, really? While while our singer, who is me, uh, suffered from crippling writer's block and just couldn't get vocals done. Uh yeah, so without getting into it too much, unlike all our previous records, we basically entered the studio, uh we entered the recording process with no uh lyrics or vocals written. That's never happened before. Mm-hmm. But I think we we were all like, well, you know, this guy needs a push, let's just do this. And uh my brain was kind of broken and it took a while. But eventually the process amounted to me uh, doing vocals here in this room I'm standing in uh, by myself over and over again. So sort of, you know, uh, writing or or refining by hearing myself back. Yeah. You know, which you, usually you would do in a practice space, um, but I just didn't have that. So I was, you know, recording them over and over again. Um, and then, uh, you know, a few days of mixing and that's that. Nice. That's, that is a... Uh... I don't know if I've ever heard of that one before. I've definitely
0: heard of people coming in the studio with no vocals and and doing it there. But that big break, that's that is an interesting thing. Do you think that do you think that that was ultimately beneficial doing it that way? No. No. <laughs> okay.
1: no. Wouldn't choose it to, wouldn't choose to do that again. All right. F- hell no. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh I mean, the good part is I don't think that it was detrimental. I think the record still like we we are we know ourselves well enough and we know our songwriting well enough that we are able to pretty much be like, this is where the vocals go. Right. You know, like that was that was always in my head. I just didn't know what the vocals were. Um so we're able to write that way. Um and the record to me still feels a hundred percent like it was written that way, and that's really important. Um there may maybe, you know, maybe sometimes um we'd be more likely to oh, let's drop a beat from here, or let's make this shorter or longer or whatever, you know, if we're doing the vocals in the more traditional way. But uh, regardless of it coming out okay, the process still sucked. Yeah, I felt terrible the whole time. Like, you know, it it was just sitting on me, and uh, no, I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, good.
0: Not recommended. All right. Well, we are getting close to the end of the podcast. Um, and traditionally I, I close out with a couple classic questions. But before I do that, i like to give the guests the opportunity to, you know, plug anything they want to plug, shout out anybody they want to shout out, say whatever you want to say to a few thousand people. Like now is now's is the time.
1: Oh man, I don't have anything to say. Um let's see dude i'm not i don't have anything to sell i got nothing to say (laughs) i'm trying to think of something interesting like i i've been all i've been doing is like trying to stay covid free and mixing and stuff i have not really been operating in the world much i'm trying to think of like a a record i discovered here let me look over here and see if there's a something i can say I'm not doing well here.
0: (laughs) I can say for you that everyone does need to check out the latest record, and it is available pretty much everywhere you can stream things, I'm assuming.
1: That's true. It is definitely not available on vinyl yet, which is not great. I
0: I understand that struggle.
1: But, yeah, who doesn't? Uh, Hopefully this month, we'll see. We had a test-pressing issue that we had to... uh, address and we did address it and hey uh okay i don't know i got nothing go listen to the the gospel record from 2004 or whatever that's my that's my <laughs> advice to everyone here uh what's it called uh the moon is a dead world or something like that
0: i'm not sure I, i'm I, familiar I,
1: with it well so everyone i know is like oh you didn't know this band uh they're amazing and uh No, i missed them until this year. Yeah, The Moon is a Dead World, 2005. Uh, Just weird metal. Totally great. Love it. That sounds like right up my alley. I will definitely check that That, out. There we go. There, that's all I got. That's perfect. Listen to that and listen, listen to the new low record, which I think everyone is already doing, but listen to the new low record. Yeah, that's
0: good too. Okay, those are good plugs. I'll take those plugs. All right, classic questions before we go here. First one, what is your favorite boss pedal?
1: Ooh, Uh it's probably a TU two. Oh, there you go. Honestly, that's that's a, <laughs> a pretty pretty common answer, actually. The TU two. Yes, yeah, great pedal. And shout out to Boss for really like incredible enclosures, incredible durability. You know, like
0: here we go, blues driver. Yep. I have one sitting right here for no reason.
1: <laughs> yep, I used a blues driver a lot, a modern blues driver a lot back in the day, also a good pedal. Uh, the I have all the classics, mm-hmm. uh, and I just can't get with any of them. It's so funny, like, you know, I'll try and chase, like, oh, one of the ones that I remember was like, oh, Alex Newport, when he was in Fudge Tunnel, his guitar tone was like a super overdrive into a JCM-800 or something like that. Right. And I was like, that is the meanest guitar tone I've ever heard, I want it. So, you know, I... Got that pedal and tried into a Marshall. I was like, I hate this. (laughs) Uh, Like all of those pedals, they, they, they warp your tone so much. I think what I've realized is that me personally, I just like things that people would consider transparent. Okay. And really no boss pedal is. No, not Um, really. They all do their own thing. Also speaking of boring utilities, what's the one that's, um, is it the line splitter?
0: Oh Yeah. Yeah, the line splitter is cool. That is, yeah, I've been using that useful. a lot while
1: building pedals. I do a lot. I've been doing a lot of pedal building, and that one's just been great on the bench to you know send one guitar signal into two different pedals, but only that pedal. And and I just want to hear that. You know, it's like a very simple, uh, like splitter kind of thing. And on the bench, that's been super handy and useful. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Shout out, boss, for the utility. Thank you, boss. The
1: most boring two pedals ever made. <laughs> I, actually, I'll also here's a weird one that I'll I'll throw out for boss too, which is the TU3S. Then so that's the newer one, right? No, it, whatever it's called, it's the one that has no pedal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Where it's just you, it's just, just like you just plug it's just it in. like the top half of a TU3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that well, I'm, I'm sliding. <laughs> that's what's on my pedal board. Uh, so I can go into that. And always have it on. And I love that because, like, if, if, if I feel that during a show I'm slipping, my tuning is slipping, I can just like hold a single note, glance at it, like retune mid set or mid song, and fewer tuning breaks between songs, which is great.
0: Gotcha. Do you find that you miss the mute function that the. the... I have a mute switch after. Oh, okay. It. Well, there you go. So, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Easy enough. All right, cool. Last question, this is the one that gets a little bit dicey, gets a little hairy. What is your favorite kind of pizza? When you say kind, what do you mean? Uh, well, if there's a specific pizzeria, that's cool, or if there's a regional style that you like, or if there's a you know, particular combination of toppings, or any, any and all varieties you know, are, are up for discussion.
1: Uh, I grew up in New York and so I grew up thinking that it was my birthright to be an asshole about pizza <laughs> and a- as I've gotten older, I've realized that basically most pizzas are wonderful and, uh, I'm a happier person for it. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely still romanticize, uh, Two Boots pizza in Greenwich Village in New York. Uh, it was always one of the most amazing slices of pizza I could get, uh, there were a bunch of places near where I grew up in Long Island that always had amazing pizza, and when I visit my mom, we still get pizza from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a mushroom and onion person. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can get on board with uh, that. I don't eat meat, so I don't do uh, any meat pizzas. Um, but I'll also do, and I think this is part of growing up in New York. I am perfectly happy with a cheese pizza. That was a you know a regular dietary staple. Like here in the Bay Area, a burrito is a dietary staple. Right, uh, but. In New York and on Long Island, there are pizza places everywhere where you walk in and say, give me two slices, and they hand you two cheese, you know, they heat up two cheese slices and they you walk out with them. Totally. And that's just dietary staple. So I'm perfectly happy and I don't feel like it's basic at all to do cheese pizza.
0: I uh I didn't really understand and I've said this so many times the listeners get tired of it probably, but I didn't really understand the whole New York pizza thing being, you know, West Coast guy. Um until i went there i mean i'd look at pictures of it and be like it looks like pizza i don't understand like what looks pretty boring it looks like pizza but after i went there and sampled a bunch of pizza places i was like nope i i get it i was p- fully prepared to call shenanigans on all of it i was i was going in a hater and then i came out a lover like i was like oh yep. oh i do love this pizza i think about it all the time and fortunately this is a very controversial opinion uh portland is really stepping
1: their pizza game up, and most some yeah. I feel like West Coast pizza has greatly improved uh, since even since I've lived here. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I've I'd actually had some friends from the East Coast come over, and I've taken them to some pizza places. I'm like, and they're like, "This is actually really good." I'm like, "I told you, yeah, I told you,
1: yeah." It's not as common, and also, though. it's not as- really allowing yourself to uh, let other types of pizza mm-hmm. into your life is a like I said, is a it's a happier way to be. So. You know, like, my mom is still like, oh, deep dish pizza? You mean like a, I don't remember what she said, some derisive thing about yeah. it. It's always funny. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, the casserole mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I'm like, you're crazy. This is delicious. Like, I'll, I will eat deep dish pizza that's good all day, 100%. Or Detroit-style pizza? Oh, yeah. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Yeah, I definitely have opened up. I still am that person that's like, deep, the deep dish pizza. Now, I haven't been to Chicago and had it proper yet, but I've had that style to me, I'm still like this. Is like it's not really what I think of when I think of pizza. It's it's kind of its own thing, um, but I love it. It's really good. <laughs> yeah,
1: but it's fantastic. It's, it's like, delicious. It's,
0: How can you say it's not good? Yeah. It's of course it's delicious. Like
1: it's fantastic. Kind of like a calzone. Yeah. The Chicago people I know are like, yeah, we don't actually really like deep dish here. I've been told that a that, few times. Yes, that's a that's a tourist thing. Um, the couple times I've been in Chicago. Uh, only once, I think, did we do some legendary deep dish. And the rest of the time, the pizzas we got were just regular. Mm-hmm. Thin crust. Like. Thin crust. And they were quite good. Yeah. Yep. Now I'm hungry. Mm, pizza. Yeah. Same.
0: <laughs> yeah. I have some leftovers in the fridge. I'm going to go get some here in a little bit. I'm, I may go find myself some pizza. Well, day. dude, thank you so much for coming on. This was This was awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be
1: here. And thanks for having me. Of course. All right,
0: well I think we can wrap this section up. We can do a little chit chat on uh, on Patreon if you're cool with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I'm being interesting or not, so tell me if I need to be more interesting.
0: Oh, I'd have hung up I would have hung up by now if it wasn't interesting, so don't <laughs> worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for Scott, this is Blake and as always folks, good luck and good tones. Okay, there you have it. There it is. It's in the can. It's done. But is it? No, because there is more over on Patreon. So if you need more content and you want to get just real weird, slide over to Patreon, and for 5 bucks a month, you can get extra episodes beamed directly to your ears every single week. There is so much bonus content over there. You can also get those extra episodes if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. They have a subscription feature now, and it is the same price and it is the same content. So if that is your preference, that is available to you as well. Thank you so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. Don't forget about February 9th. There's something big coming. I'm so excited to share that with you. Oh, I wish I could. I wish I could spill the beans, but I can't. I can't. Grant and Karen would be so disappointed. Grant and Karen being from Big Ear Petals. Oh, maybe that's a hint. Maybe that is sort of a hint. But that's all I'm going to say, because this is going to be ridiculous. Okay, you know what? Let's wrap this up. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings, made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market.